This morning's passage is from Matthew chapter 1. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'm going to pray for Josh. Father God, I lift up Josh as he brings us your word, as he enlightens your word for us. I pray that you would speak through him, that your spirit would flow right through him to us. I lift us up as we hear his message, that our lives would be grown closer to you every step we take. In Jesus' name. Wow, what an introduction. I'm going to do that every week. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate that. Um, I don't know what happened, you guys. I wore my lucky socks this morning for spring weather. Did you guys see these things? I don't know what happened. Next week, I think I'm going to wear snowshoes, all right? Maybe it'll reverse and we'll actually get some nice weather. Um, Thank you for being here on this cold, blistery morning. Um, I was telling a couple people this morning, this is like 2019 is reminding us what Christmas is like. And so that's what we should take it. It's just a reminder, just a preview of what Christmas is going to be like. Um, I'm glad you're here, and I am, I'm glad to be here and to worship with you. Um, it has been a, a, uh, a crazy week, and I still forgot to change the slide to say 1 through 12 instead of 1 through 11. So that should tell you what's going on. But um, we've been going through this series called Good, Good Father. It's been a, it's been a great series. It's been, um, I've had a ton of fun. I mean, let me tell you, yeehaw, I love to be convicted. How about you? No, seriously. It is good. It is good to be convicted, even though it doesn't feel great in the moment. And, and for me, it's like really fun to go, yeah, you guys, you all need to be really merciful. Be merciful. That's right. Be merciful. And if I really think about it, God's going, wait, are they the only ones that need to be merciful? And I go, oh, right. That's, that's me. You're talking about me. I need to be merciful, too. And after I preached that sermon last Sunday, I swear it was like every hour after that until now, God's reminding me, you need to be merciful. That person, that person, that person, that person, and on and on it went. But it has been a great series, and I'm excited to see what God is going to teach us this morning um, through this passage. So let's, let's dig in a little bit. Um, so you heard from Kevin, uh, Matthew 5, 1 through 12, and I'm going to focus on Matthew 5, 8, which is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Right there, Matthew 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, the interesting thing about this passage is, um, it seems to be somewhat self-evident, 
right? And I don't know about you, but as I read this passage, I kind of skim over it quickly, and this is one of those things that's like, okay, everybody, be like Jesus, because if you are, then you're, well, you're like Jesus, so that's good, right? Be like Jesus so you can be like Jesus, or, or be really good so you can be good. <laughs> Work really hard, make your heart pure, and then you'll be able to see God, right? And I, and I gloss over that, but I think that there's something there. And if you're like me, you might be wondering, well, what does he really mean? Like, I, there has to be more to it than just my effort or my work or how hard I want this. And I think there is something a lot more. If you're like me and you're wondering what really Jesus meant, welcome. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I think that we're going to find some depth into Jesus' words this morning that might surprise us. It definitely surprised me when I, when I started studying it. This is an interesting idea, and I think it's important to mention. There is a lot about what Jesus says that you will not even be able to understand its depth until you put it into practice. And I think we're going to see some of that this morning. You can't fully understand what Jesus means unless you actually start doing it. And then, it, then the, the depth of the knowledge starts to seep into you. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? I don't think anyone has ever argued that it is not a good idea to be pure in heart, right? It doesn't matter if you're having an online Facebook debate with the world's best atheist or, or an agnostic or, I don't know, a Hindu, whoever it is, everyone agrees purity of heart, it's a good thing. Let's go there. Let's do that. So we all agree that we want it. But the biggest question is, how do we get it? Where do we go? What makes us unclean as humans? What makes us clean as humans? That's the debate. And that's the debate today, and that's the debate it, there was in the first century. When Jesus shows up on the scene, he starts articulating his worldview and, and his perspective on what makes you clean and unclean. And of course, you may have guessed it, it goes counter to what the Pharisees thought. You see, the Pharisees' view, much like many people today, the Pharisees' view is the association of a person is what makes you clean or unclean. It's played out in all sorts of stories in the Gospels, and you can see how they, how they react to Jesus not agreeing with this. It's played out in how the Pharisees treated sinners or who they considered sinners, right? It, it's played out in the disease, the, the lame, the, the people that had leprosy or some sort of physical ailment, how they treated them. It's played out in how they treated Gentiles or people that weren't practicing Jews. This may surprise you, but it's even played out in how they treated women at a certain time of the month. Sorry to be crass, but this is true. They treated people poorly because they had this view of their association with others is what made them clean or unclean. And it went on into ceremonial cleansing and ceremonies and, and all these rituals that they practiced, and they believed those things are the things that forced cleanliness deep inside of them. And it's easy to think, what a bunch of monsters, right? Are you kidding me? That is so... That is so um, um, it's racist, it's misogynistic, it's, it's filled with hatred and judgment. But before we go throwing a bunch of judgment on the Pharisees, let's just think about for a minute where, they came, where they're coming from. Their belief was that if they got this wrong, that God would pull His blessing from them. Does that sound familiar? And if they got it right, 
God would bless them. And this is the, the old covenant perspective. We talked a couple weeks ago about the bilateral covenant of Moses. This means that God is going to do one thing if, and there's a big if, we do another. That's the bilateral covenant of the covenant of Moses. That's the covenant that God made with Moses and the nation of Israel. God fulfilling his part of the bargain was dependent on Israel holding up their part of the bargain. And Jesus is showing up saying, no, 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 not only am I the fulfillment of that covenant, but I am creating a new covenant with you. And guess what, guys? It's a unilateral covenant, meaning God does all the work and we receive it. And it's important that we understand that going into Jesus' view. So before we go casting a bunch of blame on the Pharisees, you have to understand their worldview was vastly different. Now, if you take that theology that they have and you put on top of it the fact that they were under Rome's thumb, they had been conquered and were, were controlled by Rome. So add, if we do it right, God blesses us. If we do it wrong, God curses us. Oh, by the way, we are currently cursed because Rome has enslaved us. You can bet these guys were doubling down on who was messing this up. Their whole future was at stake in their minds. If we don't get it right, God is going to continue to pull his blessing from us. But if we figure out who's messing it up (laughs) and we make it right... God's going to bless us, and we will be able to overthrow Rome. So in the day of Jesus, the Pharisees are hunting people that are getting it wrong because they want God's blessing. See, it all comes back to their desire to be close to Yahweh. And Jesus is standing right there going, it's me, it's me, I'm the way. And they're going, yeah, 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 but we got to get it right. we got to get all the rules right. They wouldn't listen. You see, Jesus' view is that the heart of a person is what makes them clean or unclean. And you can see this in tons of references in the Gospels. Just read through the Gospels and you'll see it. Jesus um, makes statement after statement, but one of my favorites, and we talked about it a few weeks ago, John 4, the woman at the well. And he has this conversation with this um, heathen um, floozy of a lady, right? She, she had done everything wrong by society standards, and she'd been kind of outcast. So Jesus naturally is interacting with her like he's not supposed to do, and he's interacting with her, and he tells her, listen, if you trust me, if you drink from the water that I give you, something's going to happen. Water is like, like a spring is going to well up from inside of you, bubbling up to eternal life. Oh my gosh, this woman was one of the first missionaries and she took Jesus' words into the village and she converted how many people that came out and, and saw Jesus. See, what's inside is what comes out and that's the thing that makes them clean or unclean. And this isn't just poetry or symbolism. Jesus used the symbol of water. Of course, that's not literal, that's a symbol. But, but what God is doing inside of us is not symbolism and it's not poetry. The Father, our good Father, literally purifies us from the inside out. And Jesus says, I'm going to read a couple of passages, but Jesus says later in Matthew, Matthew 23, 25 through 26, Jesus says to the Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of a cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Blind Pharisee. He's pretty aggressive with them. (laughs) He really wants them to understand. 
it's probably worth mentioning that he desperately loves these men, and he died for them. And later in Acts, we actually find out many of these Pharisees became Christians and helped foster the church. What Jesus is saying is you can't make yourself pure by giving yourself a spirit spit shine. You can't make yourself pure doing that. Cleanliness comes from within and flows out of you through your actions. Luke 6.45, this is a good one. This is a, there's a passage to remember, to memorize. This would be a good one. Let good men, um, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And my favorite part, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Oh, I don't know about you, but that, that goes really deep in my heart. And it makes me give pause to the words that I say. An Old Testament reference, Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Pharisees were trying to cleanse themselves from the outside in. If they did all the right things, if they followed all the right rules, if they made the right sacrifices, if they didn't associate with all the people and things that were unclean, then they themselves would be clean. And Jesus is saying, you've got it backwards, and, and, and the way the Pharisees are trying to do it is so much harder. Last spring, a buddy of mine and I were talking about the trees that I needed to cut down. This is basically what I talk about with all of my buddies. But I'm talking about this with one particular buddy, Scott. And Scott and I are talking about this tree that's leaning over my driveway. And we're worried about it because it's not producing leaves, and it's really big. And what that indicates is this is what the guys call a widowmaker. And what a widowmaker is, is a tree that is hollowed out from the inside. And even though it's big and heavy, it's very weak. And it looks strong, and it looks big, and it's huge and round. But inside, there's something else going on. And termites are eating the inside of it until the point that a tiny little windstorm will knock this thing over. And I had nightmare after nightmare. I'm laying awake at night thinking about my beautiful, wonderful family driving down the driveway, and all of a sudden a windstorm comes up, and boom, tree drops on them, right? That's why they call them widow makers. You don't expect it. The Pharisees were widow makers. Scott and I took down that tree like bosses. Thank you, Scott. And we got rid of it. The Pharisees were widow makers. We at times are widow makers. There's stuff going on inside of us, but we got to clean outside. Everything is fine. We come to church. It's great. Yes, I'm great. Praise the Lord. I'm going to worship Jesus. It's great. It's fine. And there's decay inside. And if we're not careful, out of our hearts flows our actions. And you see this in people. They look fine. They say they're fine. And their face looks a little strained. And then you make a mistake or you say something they don't like and they blow up. And you're like, oh my gosh, where did that come from? Well, it's been burning inside of them for a long time. And this is why our first statement in your bulletins is this. Our actions do not dictate our purity. Our actions do not dictate our purity. Our heart does. Our heart dictates our purity. And if as you're writing that down in your bulletin, you're going, that's hard to swallow. That's a tough one, right? Welcome to the club. <laughs> Jump on in. The water's warm. 
This is a hard thing to swallow. It is a difficult thing to swallow. Our tendency is to believe that our actions make us clean. If I just do all the right stuff, if I just keep all the right commandments, right? We love our commandments because you just do them. You don't, you don't really have to worry about the heart. You just do all the right stuff. We work really hard at something. And here's the, here's the tricky part. When you make a little progress at getting the outside really clean, oh, that feels so good. That feels so good. It feels rewarding. It feels like you're making progress, and you're, and you're standing there saying, look at Lord, I'm cleaning myself, and I'm, I'm, look, I'm really clean. I got that one sin, I don't have it anymore. I've, I've gotten rid of that sin, and it makes you feel so good. It makes you feel accomplished, but your accomplishment, feel, at least the feelings of it, only last so long. Your motivation and your ability to resist sin or work at getting more pure eventually falls apart. It does with everybody. It doesn't matter how hard you work or how good you are at this. And then the infamous two things, two things happen when you get to this point at trying to make yourself clean from the outside. One, you give up. Some of you have been there. And you go, you know what? I've screwed this up so much that I'm done. I'm not even going to try. And downward spiral, you, you, you slowly circle deeper and deeper. Until pretty soon, a friend of yours at work says, hey, you should come to church with me. And your response is, if I set foot in the parking lot of a church, I'm pretty sure God would strike me by lightning and he'd probably burn down the church. Not going anywhere near it, right? Because your view was, I tried to clean myself, I couldn't, I give up. We all have people like that in our life, and I'm surprised at how many people share that with me. And then the second thing that happens, and this is a little bit more the direction of the Pharisees. It's the sweep under maneuver, right? I've been working really hard. I've been making all this progress, and oh, then I screwed it up, and I made a mistake. So I'm lift the rug up. I'm going to sweep that sin right under there. And I got all this guilt that's weighing heavy on me. I just stuff the guilt, and I show up on Sunday, and I'm excited, and everything is great and fine, and I got that thing that's burning inside me. It's that sin that nobody knows about. And you get really good at sweeping stuff under the rug. You get really good. In fact, you get so good that you can see other people that maybe aren't sweeping it under the rug as well, right? And you're like, that guy, man. I saw, I, call, I saw him going down the 87. He was flying. He's speeding. And he, I don't speed, at least on Tuesdays, <laughs> right? I sweep it under the rug. Nobody knows. And we put up these facades and these, these barriers and these boundaries, and we wonder why it's so hard to get to know people. Because we're all kind of wondering, well, are you going to see that sin? Am I going to see that sin that you have? Are you going to see the sin that I have? What if everybody in the room finds out that I have this thing that I struggle with? That's the other direction. That's exactly the path the Pharisees walked. They could not admit that they were sinners. They viewed themselves as perfect. They had figured it out. They had got the formula. They had gotten everything right, and everybody else was messing it up for Israel. And here comes Jesus, saying it's not about all the rules that we work so hard to perfect. See, the Pharisees saw something in Jesus' ragtag crew his crew of disciples, if you want to call them that, right? They didn't do something that really bothered the Pharisees. They didn't wash their hands. Now, as a good uh, practicing Jew, you wash your hands before each meal. That's what you do. To the point that you don't eat 
if there's no water around to wash your hands. Well, Jesus saw things a little differently. And so he didn't encourage his disciples to do this. And the Pharisees witnessed the disciples not washing their hands before they ate a meal. And at one point, they call Jesus out and the disciples, and they say, you guys aren't keeping the Sabbath. You're not ceremonial clean. You're probably the reason why Rome's got us under their thumb. Why do you let them do that, Jesus? And Jesus says, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> Matthew 15, 17 through 20, everything that enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then goes out of the body. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. Those are the things that make someone unclean. Evil thoughts come out of a person's heart. So do murder, adultery, and other sexual sins. And so do stealing, false witness, telling lies about others. Those are the things that make you unclean. By eating without washing your hands does not make you unclean. This is not about a bunch of rules that we have to follow. This is not about getting it right. This is not about keeping the commandments. This is about your heart. And you might be with me so far. You might go, yes, preach it, Josh. It's about the heart. Jesus is saying this over and over again. It's not your actions it's, or your associations that purifies you. It's your heart. I mean, you're with me. But there's another problem. <laughs> there's another theological question we need to ask ourselves. If it really is about the heart, how still do you purify the heart? How do you purify the heart? And this is where get, things get a little crazy, so you guys got to bear with me. If we go with Jesus on this idea that what you do does not purify your heart, the realization is that is, it, that's harder to deal with is that you still have this impure heart. So if you make mistakes, you have an impure heart, according to Jesus. So what do we do about that? Do I read my Bible more? Do I come to church more? Do I go to Bible studies? What do I do? to purify my heart. If you know anything about human nature, you know how evil men can be. You know how cruel we as a species can be. And if you go with Jesus on this theory, it comes from the heart. The reality is, is evil seems to come out of us way more than good. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a pessimist. I'm saying that because I deal with people and I deal with myself. We're all really, really messed up. We are. We're messed up. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that junk comes from your heart. And the Pharisees are going, no, 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 that junk comes from you not following all the rules. See the difference? And can you hear how similar that is, the debate that we have today? Right today, in our culture, in our church culture. The news is even sadder than that. Even if we want pure hearts, we can't seem to keep them pure. We cannot keep our hearts pure. In fact, Scripture tells us at different places that it's impossible. Just look at Romans 3.23. We've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53.6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And the good news is, is we get to talk about the hymn in that passage. Our second statement is this. Our hearts are intentionally missing the necessary components to produce unity. Or purity, I'm sorry. Our hearts are intentionally missing the necessary components to produce purity. Intentionally? What do you mean by intentionally? Everyone knows that we're missing it. 
You see, here's the crazy thing. We were never meant to be able to produce purity in our hearts. <gasps> I know, it's crazy. We were never meant to be able to produce that. That's not the way that we were created. There's something that's missing inside, and it's on purpose. We are supposed to need the Father. He didn't create us to be able to produce our own purity. Never once, even before the fall, Adam and Eve desperately needed the Father. And He built them that way. He built them that way. He built us, in a sense, with a handicap. He created us deficient on our own. He created us to need Him more than we even need air. And oh, we need Him that much. This is why we can give mercy to everyone around us. We can say, hey, you, you have that hole in your heart too? I got that same hole. I can't produce purity. I can't produce goodness. I can't produce cleanliness on my own. And the fact that we try produces more sin. And that sin hurts me. And my sin hurts you. And we can look at each other and go, man, we know what's wrong with each other. And we're sorry. We're just going to understand that we're all working a bit with a stacked deck. This is the great lie that Satan told Eve and has been telling everyone ever since. He whispered it in my, my ear this morning. He said it to me in my office. He said, you should feel like a failure if you think you need a Savior. That's what he said to me. You're a screw-up because you need a Savior. If you were what you were supposed to be, you would be capable of purity without a Savior. Can you hear the same lie that he told Adam and Eve? It's still there. It's the same thing. He's up to no new tricks. You see, we have always and we will always need Jesus. We always, it was always God's plan from the very beginning for us to need Him. It's the way He created us. We, on our own, are incapable of purity or righteousness or sinlessness, and that's how God designed us. Now, don't hear me say that sin is okay. <laughs> it's not okay. Sin destroys us, and it destroys our hearts, and it destroys the hearts of our loved ones and the people around us, and it destroys our church if we're not careful. That's how big of a deal sin is. Sin is a big deal. But this is what it means. You should not feel guilty about needing a Savior because that's the way we were designed. Statement number three, here's the good news. It's been kind of on a downward trajectory until now, right? Statement number three, our Father sacrificed and sent the only necessary component for purity, and His name is Jesus. That's the good news. And that's what the good news about Easter is all about, and that's what we're going to talk about as much as possible every Sunday morning. Hopefully, you hear me talk about the only way for purity, and His name is Jesus. And He's been calling us, and He's been asking us, and He's been knocking on the door, and all we have to do is accept Him. Maybe you've never heard this before, or maybe you just need a reminder God gave His one and only Son so that you might be adopted into His family forever. No trade backs. 
And this is a thing we all need to dwell on no matter where we are in our faith journey. We need Him. We needed Him the first time we put our faith in Him. And we need Him the next day and the next day. And we need Him today. And oh man, Monday's coming. And we need Him. We desperately need Him. We needed Him. We needed Him to be adopted and we needed Him from, from that point on. In order to grow in our faith, in order to be more like Christ, in order to be a reflection of Christ's love, we need Him. And we need to know Him, and we need to talk to Him, and we need to dedicate time in our life to being with Him, and to wondering what He thinks, and to asking Him what He thinks about the situations that we're in. We need Him. We still need Him, and that's the way it's supposed to be. We cannot do this without Jesus and God built us that way. We need Jesus, and we can be confident in that. Do not listen to the enemy's lies that you somehow shouldn't need a Savior. He would love it if you believed that. John said, uh, Jesus said it in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Thank you, Jesus, right? And this is why our last statement this week is, purity is only achieved by surrendering our hearts to Jesus for His purity to grow in us. And this starts the first time that we ever surrendered ourselves to Jesus. And let's not fool ourselves. We surrender imperfectly because we're sinful, and we have that, that struggle. But even an imperfect surrender, Jesus says, I'll take it. I was six years old when I surrendered my life to Jesus. I did not know the depth of what that even meant, but I knew that I needed Him. And Jesus has been telling me, if I'll listen, I need Him every day since then. It doesn't stop at our adoption our need for Him, our, desire, our need to surrender to Him. It only begins. The more we surrender, the more Jesus' purity takes over. I don't know, maybe some of you are wearing wedding rings or, or some sort of jewelry on you. I don't know much about melting metal, but I do know a couple of things. I know about a, a process called smelting. And smelting is when you take a base metal that has a bunch of imperfections, you take this, this lump of rock has gold in it, and it's got silver in it, and it's got all these kind of things in it. So what you do, this is my uneducated perspective of it, you heat it up really, 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 really hot until it turns liquid, and the imperfections bubble to the surface. And they take those perfections off, and they heat it up again, and it bubbles up the imperfections, and this happens over and over and over until you get pure gold. This is what God does with us. He purifies us. There's even a song in the early 90s about a refiner's fire. I'm sure you guys immediately hear that song in the back of your head. You're not going to get it out of your head. I'm sorry. It, it purifies us. God puts us through these things so that we can become purer, so that our hearts become more pure, more like Jesus's. And it's done over and over and over and this is what we call the already not yet. It will not be done until we go to heaven. 
So it doesn't matter how long you've been having your heart purified, you're still not done until you meet Jesus. We've been going through some struggles at Grace Chapel, in case you haven't noticed, just look around. You might see some familiar faces that are missing. And I can't tell you how bad that hurts. Talk about a refiner's fire. When people that are walking with you say, you know what, I can't walk with you anymore. It hurts. And I don't just mean it hurts in my heart. It physically hurts me. It keeps me up at night. It does. But if we pay attention, and if we listen to what God is saying to us, He's purifying us. He's putting us through trials. He's forcing us to learn something. Oh, man, I, I want to learn this once. I do not want to learn this over again, okay? Let's listen. Let's pay close attention. And we have to know that pain is a part of it. It is not easy to grow. And it is not easy for your heart to transform and become more pure. It's painful. And God is forcing even Grace Chapel through this process. He's purifying us as a church. And I believe that we should have the same perspective as Jesus' half-brother had, James. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote this. James, by the way, was the leading influencer in Jerusalem, one of the best, if not the best pastors that Jerusalem had to offer after Jesus' resurrection. A man that, as far as we know, did not believe in Jesus until he rose again, but a man that could call Jesus brother, which is pretty cool. And I don't just mean that spiritually, physically. He could call him brother. He says this in James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, and Grace Chapel, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's what I want. And that's what I want for us. So that's where we're going Maybe you caught last week's sermon. We're talking about communal formation. Our, our vision statement is lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one said that it would be this painful. A transformation hurts. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. It's going to make you question if we're headed in the right direction. And I question that every day. I ask Jesus for confirmation after confirmation after confirmation. It's going to make you fall on your knees and ask Jesus for more confirmation. I sound like a broken record to Jesus. I, I ask for forgiveness for this even. Jesus, I'm sorry. Again, I know it's only been an hour, but I need encouragement. I need confirmation. Are you sure? And so far, he's faithful. I said that this week, and within four hours of me saying it, I had three emails and somebody that walked into my office and shared with me, hey, I want to let you know that I visited for the first time last Sunday, and I loved it, and I'm staying. That's confirmation. God is doing something here. I just wish he would hurry up. When GC comes through the refiner's purifying fire, we will be able to hold Jesus' purity in our lives and and I'll be the first to say it'll be imperfect, but we'll be, be able to hold His purifying, his, his purity in our hands, and we'll be able to 
It won't be because it originated with us, and we can't take credit for it. It's not about us being prideful. It's about what God is doing through us. It's not because we cracked the code, but it's because we've given all of us over to Him, individually and communally. And when we do that, albeit imperfectly, when we do that, we'll see three things. The first thing is people, including us, surrendering themselves to Jesus. Because when you surrender, your family takes notice, your friends take notice, your boss takes notice, everybody takes notice. And some of them will say, he's crazy, and someone, some will say, I want that. So the first thing that we see is people, for the first time, will surrender their lives to Jesus. For the second time, for the third time, and on and on and on. Until we're looking around going, oh my gosh, we're all surrendering ourselves over and over and over to Jesus. This is amazing. It's the first thing we'll see. The second thing that we'll see is our local area will be impacted by, Jesus's, by Jesus. And it'll be done through us. Again, it's not about our glory or credit. It's about what God is doing through us. But we will see people being impacted by Jesus' purity through us. And then the third thing. We can take this straight from the mouth of Jesus. We'll see God. We will see God. We will see God in us, not because we've got it figured out, but because He's good. We will see Him in us, and we will see Him through us. And we can point to the things that we do without taking glory or credit and saying, look at what God is doing. Oh, I want to see that. And one day we will actually see the face of God. Colossians 3, 12 through 14, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Surrendering ourselves to Jesus is the only path to purity. Let's pray. Jesus, we surrender. Lord Jesus, we surrender to you. And just like I said when I was six years old and I had no idea what it meant, I surrender. I give you my life. And Lord, even as I say that, I'm reminded of the imperfections that I even say it with. So God, I ask that you would draw us as a people through your refining fire. And as painful as it is and as scary as it can be, I ask that you would encourage us and that you would refine us and that your purity would come out of us and that, Lord, we would know your words to be true, that we would see God. We love you. We love each other. But help us surrender over and over and over to you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. And in your name, amen.